Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out a community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Well, today is week four in Movement is Coming, our week-long teaching series, this capital and giving campaign. And we've set aside this whole month to talk about generosity, to talk about giving, and to talk about the opportunity before us as a church. I'm excited for what I get to communicate today and what we will be doing later as a church. And so I want you to know that we believe uh, because of the growth of our church, because of the growth of our city, uh, that we're at a critical time to leverage our impact for generations to come. We believe that this is the time to build our first permanent facility and to make a legacy investment. And so Movement is Coming is about that entire movement. Research shows that churches with permanent facilities are able to reach 70 to 80 percent more of their community And make no mistake about it, we want to reach our community. So the facility that we're talking about building is going to be built on our 13 and a half acres at the corner of Walker and Morris Roads across the road from Bradley High School and Memorial Middle School. This location has some great proximity to the Hilliard Rome exit, to Interstate 70, and visibility on a local level. And so we've saved, we've planned, we've prayed for this for years, we've talked about it this month, and we are excited to have a 16,000 square foot facility where we can do 24-7 ministry that'll custom fit our vision and our needs as we grow our church. And so this building helps us address four key areas. It helps us expand worship services, It helps us disciple kids and students. It helps us reach into the community and respond to felt needs. And it's going to help us plant even more life-giving churches because as we have always done, 5% of the money from this project is going to go toward church planning. And so these funds are going to accelerate and even uh, kind of speed up and, and help us be better at training and sending. And so the total cost of this building is going to be around $3 million. Uh, we are going to be able to finance $1.8 million of that, but we've spent this month talking about the fact that we are asking people to, to pledge and give in cash and commitments over a three-year campaign, $1.2 million. We're asking people to make commitments above and beyond their normal giving, cash and commitments for $1.2 million. And as a church, this has been a big undertaking, but we're excited to grow in this opportunity. We're excited for what God is doing in our midst and what's ahead. We know that there are going to be different responses to this, but our goal and our hope is that there is a shared commitment to sacrifice. Well, today, as I mentioned, is week four. It's our final week. It's, it's pledge week. It's, it's commitment Sunday. And so later in this message, later in this video, we're going to ask you to make a pledge. Uh, so we know exactly what we're going to be able to do as a church and so we can start giving toward those commitments. We've talked about this for four Sundays. We've done one-on-one meetings. We've answered emails. We've done informational meetings. We've done Zoom calls. We have a leadership event, and our core leaders are are pledging money. And so we're going to communicate what our leaders have been able to do and how that plays into what the church at large is going to be able to do. So please watch this entire video. Please watch this service through to the end because we have some encouraging things and some major info. 
And so let's get into our passage for the week. Let's get into Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 to 10. The book of Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 to 10. The last book in the Old Testament, the namesake of my oldest child, my first son. Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 to 10. Let me give you some context for what we want to talk about today as our foundation and our backdrop as we conclude this series. The Old Testament tells the story of the nation of Israel and their relationship with God. Their relationship wasn't always perfect, and so because of disobedience, Israel fell apart and was conquered. And the nations that conquered the nation of Israel deported them away to other places and other lands. They spread them out, which left the Israelites or the Jews kind of feeling scattered and cynical and politically skeptical and spiritually disillusioned. And so the book of Malachi, the passage that we're going to look at today, is a book of prophecy to those scattered Jews, those scattered people. Malachi has been described as part pastor, part theologian, part prophet, and part spiritual mentor. And so as the Israelites or Jews were scattered, the prophets, and Malachi included, would write these books to say equivalent kind of a a wake up. And they would say, hey, we want to speak against corrupt religion. They wanted to remind the, the Israelites and the Jews who God was and what his promises were. And they wanted to be calling the Israelites to pure worship and a pure response of faith in their lives. And so this isn't just a bunch of rules. This prophecy is motivated by God's unending love. So let's look at this passage today. Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 to 10. Follow along. Take some notes with me today. It says this. I am the Lord, and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Well, if you're a note taker, if you want to write something down, the first thing that we can see right here is this. God doesn't change and God's love for us doesn't change. I thought about making that into this great combination sentence, but I want both of those things to be clear. God doesn't change and God's love for us doesn't change. You and I were made in the image of God. We were made to be in relationship with God. And since the beginning of the world, all throughout time, all throughout history, all throughout the Bible, all throughout scripture, that has been clear. Since the days of Israel, when God made a covenant, we've been able to see his character, his love, and his commitment to his people. God has a covenant with his people, not a contract. A contract is something that people can get out of. If one side doesn't keep their part of the bargain, you tear it up and you broke the contract. But a covenant like God has with us means that even when we let him down, even when we don't keep our half, God keeps his half. God loved Israel and God loved us. Three weeks ago, as we kicked this series off, we talked uh, about Ephesians 2, and we, we said that we're reminded that even when we mess up, even when we let God down time and time again, God is rich in mercy and grace and love, and he sent his son Jesus to pay the price for our sin, 
so that we could know God and so that we could have a relationship with him. That is the foundation of this series of our lives, of any conversation, and certainly any conversation about giving. The foundation is God's love and mercy for us. And verse 6 of Malachi 3 plainly tells us that God is with us and God is looking out for us. That's why the Israelites and you and I are under the umbrella of sacrifice and we're under the umbrella of Jesus, why we're already not dead, why we haven't been taken or killed and haven't perished like we deserve. God has been perfectly consistent all throughout time, all throughout history. Civilizations change. History changes. People change. Opinions change. Trends change. Haircuts change, outfits change, but our God does not change, which means that his character and his promises and his love and his commitment to us do not change. Well, since we're on video, I'm just going to assume that somebody watching this just yelled amen because I feel like that deserved an amen. Our God does not change and God's love for us does not change. That's point one. Here's point two, something we can take from this passage. Our giving often cheats God. Yeah, I know, I know. That's awkward to talk about, but our giving often cheats God. Verse eight is clear that we often cheat God through our giving. Worship is our response to God. We often think of worship as music, but it's really any way that we respond to God and respond to God's goodness. Our singing is worship, but our lives are worship, and our financial giving is worship. As we already mentioned, God gives us all of himself in the form of his son, Jesus, so that we can have a relationship with him. And when we understand our need for Jesus, when we understand that he gave his life for us, we can respond by living our lives for him. A couple of weeks ago, we said that when we understand God's love and are committed to him, we will honor him with our heart, with our soul, with our mind, and with our strength. We will give God our everything. We'll give God our life, our platform, and that includes this major indicator. That includes our money. See, all throughout the Bible, we see God using money as a gauge for the hearts of people. God has often said that money is a tool and he can see the hearts of people by the way they honor him with their finances. God asks us to honor him with our money because when your life and your heart are surrendered to him, your money is a no-brainer. It's just not a big deal. It's the obvious response of a life surrendered to God. When a life and a heart and a mind are surrendered to God, you'll joyfully give your money as an afterthought. But guess what? This passage makes it sound like that's common sense. Well, that common sense isn't all that common. See, our giving often cheats God. And I'm not just talking about the Israelites. I'm not just talking about people in the Bible. I'm not just talking about these people long ago in the Old Testament. You and I, our giving cheats God. God is saying in this passage that in the Old Testament, in the law, he set up this standard of giving to try and be a guide, to try and shape the hearts and the patterns and the rhythms of these people and, and establish this as a baseline and put this in motion. He wanted people to understand the principle of giving a portion of their wealth, a portion of their salary, a portion of their empire, a portion of their harvest to honor God. The hope was that this discipline would echo forward for generations in his people and there would be some consistency in the lives who claimed to know God, the people who claimed to be following God. But guess what? It wasn't the case back then and it's not the case now. Malachi chapter 3 verse 8 says that people are cheating God. 
People are cheating God by not bringing their tithes, which is just a fancy Christian church word for 10% of your, your, your salary, 10% of what you make. That was called a tithe. It's still called a tithe. And so maybe you heard that said. But this passage isn't just talking about that tithe. It's also mentions and, and it's talking about offering. It says offerings too, and their offerings were this above and beyond money or, or crops or something that they would give. They would give their 10% or they had been asked to give their 10% and they were also giving above and beyond to honor God. But they didn't keep up their part. And God is bringing that to their attention. People who claim to know God, people who claim to be in a relationship with God, people who, who were God's people, people who wanted to honor him, did not honor him with their finances. And he's saying, hey, I'm just being honest. You're cheating me. You're not honoring me. You're shortchanging this relationship. Now, it would be great if this was just about Israel. But we, you, me, us, I, whatever word you want to use, we do this. You and I often cheat God and we justify it. Here are three reasons that people don't give to God. Sometimes we tell ourselves these lies or these excuses. Sometimes people think, well, they don't want to lose or give up what they've worked so hard for. Sometimes people say they don't really see the purpose of giving. Really, they're asking, what's God done for me lately when they, when they don't see the purpose? Maybe this third one here. Sometimes their, their eyes are just not on God. Those are three reasons that people sometimes don't give. But here are three things that happen when you give God your money. Giving reminds us that our attention should be on God and not money. Giving reminds us that our money never belonged to us in the first place. And giving reminds us that God is our provider. We've talked about some principles out of this passage. We've said that God doesn't change and God's love for us doesn't change. We've said that our giving often cheats God. And here's the third thing that you can take from this passage in Malachi chapter three. Giving allows us to test and affirm the faithfulness of God. Let me say that again. Giving allows us to test and affirm the faithfulness of God. Verse 10 is the only time in the Bible that God dares us to test him. You could get in a lot of trouble testing God, but this one time, this one instance, this one occasion, this one way, God says, go ahead, test me. I'm the real deal. See, the word used here for testing is not talking about arrogance or the cynical disbelief. It's talking about testing from a posture of honest doubt with the intent to encourage or prove faith in God. And sometimes giving can be just that, a test to remind us or to prove to us that what you need to do is give to God. And what you need to do is test God and find out the answer. And that's okay. This verse is an invitation from God. Malachi is asking these people to use giving to reverse their heart and their posture and their lack of belief. Because our lack of giving is usually pointing beyond this symptom to a more serious cancer. Often, whether we admit it or not, when we're not giving, when we're being stingy, it's rooted in unbelief or a lack of faith. Often when we're not giving, it's rooted in a lack of faith. There's no other reason you wouldn't give your money to the God of the universe. 
But I want you to know that you can take comfort in this verse. God is not saying if you give your money to him that you're magically going to win the lottery all of a sudden. No, he's saying that giving your money will put your attention and your eyes and your heart and your dependence on him. And he's saying, I promise, I guarantee if you give me your money that you will not be let down with me because I am God and I am great and I am all that you need. That is what this promise and this test are telling us. God is saying, I promise promise that my faithfulness and my love and my mercy and my character and my provision are going to blow your mind. So go ahead and test me because I've never let anyone down. God's promises are not always material, but he says, you can test me knowing that everything we receive and everything we find out in his presence is more than we could ever receive from some money. Right? If I've got a scale here and I can put the God of the universe against some paper bills, the God of the universe is going to win every time, right? God is great, and I'll take God every time in this test and this challenge. A couple of years ago, we actually talked through this concept. Giving is a regular conversation at our church because we think it's a spiritual rhythm and it, it's really a discipleship issue that's talking about our hearts. And so we had a conversation about money. We even talked about this passage and we did something that was a little unique. We made a bold statement. We asked people to trust God and to begin giving and to take a next step in giving. So we said, if you've never given, go ahead and give for the first time. If you've given before, but maybe you haven't given consistently, will you trust God and take that step? Will you maybe for the first time give 10% of your income, maybe 10% before taxes? Will you decide that whatever percentage you've been giving to God, whatever amount, that you'll raise that and trust him a little more? Maybe you'll give beyond what feels comfortable and give generously. We asked people to take a step in giving and to do that. But then we added this caveat. We said, do it for 90 days and see the difference that it makes in your life and in your heart. And if you, you practice that discipline, if you take that step, if you give in that way, and at the end of those 90 days, you would say, man, what a waste. I don't see God. I don't feel God. I don't know God. I don't trust this church. I think my money's been wasted. I'm not seeing a change in my life or my heart. I'm not seeing ministry of my dollars. If you can say that at the end of those 90 days, we said, we looked everyone in the eye and we said, come to us, tell us that, ask for your money back and we will give your money back. Guess how many people ask for their money back? Zero. And that's not because Mark's awesome. That's not because Movement Church is awesome. Why would we have the audacity to make that promise? I certainly wouldn't have the audacity to make that promise in my economy or the current economy. But God says to test him. He says, you can trust my character. You can trust my word. And you can stand on that all day. You will be blessed when you give your money to me. And I will stand on that all day. Guys, here's our, our big idea for this last week in this conversation out of Malachi chapter three. Ungrateful generosity robs God. And so the question for us, are you grateful? Does your generosity or lack thereof reflect that you're grateful? Does it show that you're grateful? Does it show that you've surrendered your life and your heart to your God and you're running after him? Are you guilty of ungrateful generosity? Grateful generosity honors God, and we want to be individuals who are committed to him, who are showing grateful generosity. We want to be a church that's committed to him, that's running after him and showing grateful generosity. We have some great generosity potential as a church. We have some incredible giving 
potential as a church. It's been a weird year to be scattered, but I want you to know that I'm more convinced of something than ever, that our core is strong. The 22 house churches that we've been meeting at, people who have been joining us online, people who have been giving, people who have been serving, people who have been still committed to movement church, committed to taking steps to grow in their spiritual lives and committed to see God have impact in Hilliard and West Columbus have made our core strong. And there are many ways that we could theorize the giving potential, but I want to just do a couple of breakdowns for you quick for the people who call movement church their home. Assuming that an average movement household contains two people, Some have six, some have one, but let's say an average movement household has two people. It's safe to assume that of the 400 plus people who call movement home, that there would easily be 200 households. See what I did there? 400 divided by two, 200 households. And if those 200 households tied that what has kind of been our our average rate through the years, $1,700 per person, those 200 households could tithe 680,000, which would be above and beyond our budget and get us where we need to be. Isn't that amazing what people can do, what individuals can do, what a household can do? But those numbers assume that each house would only give $3,400, which would mean that they were tithing 10% off of a household income of $34,000. And I am not trying to manipulate people today, but I do want to encourage us. I do want to challenge us and I do want to push us. I think we have a lot of people that can give beyond 10% because of their maturity and their commitment. And I know we have a lot of households that make beyond $34,000. Imagine this. Imagine if our 200 households still only tithe 10%, which would be $6,200 if they made what an average household in Franklin County makes, which is $62,000. That means that those 200 households tithing $6,200 off of their $62,000 income, guess what we could give? One point. $2.4 million, $1,240,000. Again, that's just a 10% tithe. That's just assuming the, the minimum average household. And I think that we are blessed people and we have many who can go beyond that. I believe the potential for generosity in Movement Church in the future is great. And I'm excited to see that God is beginning to stir in us and we're really just scratching the surface on how we can be generous and how we can give and how we can be stretched and how we can have impact. We can tithe, we can do 10%, we can go above and beyond and we can, we can admit that we're blessed. We can respond to God's goodness and give out of our generosity. Think of the giving potential and the impact we can have in the lives of others, the impact that we can have on the west side in Hilliard. And so the question this day and for this whole series and for this whole month and every conversation we've had is what is your response? Are you honoring God and doing what he said to do in your heart? I think God's usually speaking to us. He's usually saying, I want, I want more of you. I want this response. He's usually whispering in our ear and sometimes we ignore him. Sometimes we neglect him. Sometimes we don't wanna spend time with him because we know that he's chiseling away at our pride and our ego And he's chiseling away at our man-made, earth-made dreams. And he's asking us to give us a new piece of ourselves, a different piece of ourselves. Have you asked God how he wants you to give, how he wants you to be generous? Maybe in your day-to-day life with your normal giving, or maybe even more specifically in this campaign, Movement is Coming. How does God want you to give above and beyond? What three-year commitment does God want you to make? Can I just be honest today? I think that some of us, if we're going to make the commitment that God has put in our heart, we need to get rid of idols. 
An idol is anything that you need to check with before saying yes to God. You ever had a friend back in the day where you're like, hey, we're all going out on Saturday. And he's like, hey, uh, let, me, let, me, let me check with my girlfriend, right? And she's that girlfriend that's new and, and nobody really likes her and she's been monopolizing all of his time. And that's what an idol is. An idol is something where you would say, oh, I feel like God's asking me to do this, but oh man, I want to get that new car. I want to go on that vacation. I want to do this. I want to make this purchase. I want people to be impressed by me. I want to get that second property. And today we're saying, what idols do we need to cast aside so that we can clearly respond to God's goodness, so that we can be generous and do what he's put in our hearts? I'm asking you today to take a step, maybe to give for the first time, maybe to give consistently, maybe to tithe 10% of your income before or even after taxes, to raise your percentage, or maybe to say, Lord, I'm anchored in you, I'm established in you, I love you, I want to give above and beyond, I want to be generous, and I want to be a leader. I look at this capital campaign, this process, kind of like a, a journey that we're all going on. This is, it's like a bus ride, right? It doesn't matter what you give, but I want you to know that we believe that participation is success. And so we want to see as many individuals and as many families, as many people as possible, get on the bus and make this journey with us together. So in just a couple moments, we're going to have our commitment time. We're going to make our pledges. We're going to tell you what our leaders were able to give. But I want you to know that we want to make sure our hearts are in the right place, that our generosity is reflecting what God is doing in our lives, doing in our hearts, and what he's asking us to do. Let's respond to God and tell the world that movement is coming. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for speaking to us today. Lord, thank you for the way that you're stretching us and growing us as a church. God, I pray that we will respond to your goodness, respond to what you're doing in our hearts, Lord. And I pray that we will have a grateful generosity, Lord. I pray that we will not rob you, but that we will make commitments now in our day-to-day -day lives and even for three years, Lord, that will make us trust you and depend on you and run after you, Lord, as we go after the west side of Hilliard and make this legacy commitment. God, be with us today. Help what's about to happen, the, the giving that's about to happen to glorify your name, Lord. Help our worship to be a blessing to you. Lord, it's in the name of Jesus I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.